Today on the show, we talk the What's What of the Week, the newly released The Last of Us Part 2, the horrific train wreck that is Artemis Fowl, and some classic gems from the Nostalgia Box. We have the Tay, the Custard Creams, and we're raring to go. Wallets at the ready, the arcade is open for business. Bing bong, hello and welcome, you're listening to The Arcade, a podcast where two Irish lads talk to what's what in gaming and beyond and where the crack is top notch. My name is Sean and with me is Stephen. Hello, hello. We cocked up the intro there. A little Absolutely. Bit. Oh, it was amazing. There's all this laughing track that we just cut out of there. I love bringing up the mistakes that we made in the actual podcast. Yeah, and no one's ever going to hear them. No one will ever hear them, but we know that they're there, which is why I love bringing them up. So there you go. Yeah. Fun all week this week, Stephen. Absolutely. A lot of stuff happened this week. Yeah. We tormented ourselves. We did. All for the we sake did. of um, entertainment. For other people, not for us. No, not for us. It was an absolute train wreck of a week. A lot of stuff happened as well that we got busy what's what going on this week. And uh, some pretty cool stuff happened as well. You know, we got The Last of Us Part 2. Yeah, I haven't played it. Sean, you have though. I have. I um, got it digitally. On PlayStation because I knew I wouldn't have it any other way in time for the podcast, so it was either digital or not at all. Um, so yeah, I just went for it. I went for it. A uh, hundred gigabytes. It was big old download. Whoa! Yeah, it took a full day. Full day. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> just watching that download <laughs> bar go. I set it up um, to preload. I think it was on the Thursday. No, Wednesday night. I was going to bed. It was one o'clock in the morning, and I set it up. Got up at 9 o'clock the next day for work and it had 27 gigabytes had downloaded. So I came home and it was still wasn't finished. It was like three hours left to go on it. Wow. Yeah, it finished at about half nine Thursday night and then I had to come midnight to play. Jesus. It was really, you know, that's, that's uh, awfully download speeds. We just don't get speeds down here the way no. they do in Dublin. No. Like, I've seen people downloading the big um, Modern Warfare updates in, like, three hours. I don't I don't get that. Scandalous. It just doesn't happen for me, you know? That would take about a day and a half. But anyway, with that said, I think it's time to actually kick off the show. So shall we kick off the show, Stephen? We shall, we shall. Let's kick it off with the what's what, or the goss on the street. This is the segment of the show where we talk about the things that happened in the week, and we're kicking off the what's what with a bit of a sad note. Uh, this week, the great Ian Holm passed away. Yes. Yeah. Uh, most known for his roles in Alien, The Lord of the Rings, and The Hobbit trilogy. Yeah. So for people who don't actually know, it's uh, Bilbo Baggins. Um. And Ash from um, Alien. Alien. Yeah, the android. I don't mind spoiling it. The film did come out in 1978. If you haven't seen it, there's something seriously wrong, wrong with, you, with you, or you're too young. To be watching it. It's a great film and he has an amazing part in it. I think he's slightly overshadowed by John Hurt, who kind of gets more of a look in because of... Um, what happens to him? Well, yeah, it's a pretty iconic part of the entire film. But, like, Ian Holm, I didn't realise how um, like how big he was in my sort of media viewing. Do you know, he's kind of always been there. Yeah. Like, he's popped in and out of a lot of different things over the years that I would have seen. But most notably, it is Lord of the Rings and Alien. And, you know, to bring him back, even in the Hobbit trilogy, was brilliant. Just yeah, for no, the few was. little things that he had that he was in. But, yeah, he passed away at 88 years of age, peacefully, from uh, the uh, statement that his agent gave out. It's a really good age to get to. Mm. That's what I thought as well. He is the third member of the Nostromo crew to pass away so far, following uh, John Hurt and Henry Dean Stanton, who passed away in 2017. Yeah. That's a shame. He will be missed. His last credit on IMDb is Alien Isolation. He replies his role as Ash for the game, for the DLC. Haven't played that DLC, but from what I've seen of it, it's pretty much the Alien film in game form. I have. Um, it's a while ago now. Well, that game did come out in 2014. Like, It's a long time. That's six years. Like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was a very long time ago. Uh, he will be missed. Like it's it's always sad when someone like that dies, passed away. It's just it is terrible. But moving on from it, um, 
slightly happier news, uh, we got a PlayStation 5 leak. A big PlayStation 5 leak from Amazon, no less. Yes, um, so Amazon France accidentally posted um, the listing for the PS5's price for both the digital edition and the, what are they calling it, the, the normal edition or the... I think that's PlayStation 5. PlayStation so like 5 and then digital PlayStation 5. Yeah, so the digital edition is going to be coming in at 399 um, euro and 499 for the disc version. Um, now, look, with these kind of leaks, pretty much take with a pinch of salt. Um, nothing's been confirmed by Sony yet been either. Conf- yeah. So it's... It's not fully set in stone, but that is probably the um, the actual prices. Yeah, in saying that though, um, the Xbox Xbox chairman um, also stated that he highly doubts that PlayStation will be above five hundred. He yeah. cannot see the console being any dearer than that. Which I I would agree with him. Yeah. From yeah. Look, it's my biggest fear, <laughs> and I pretty much think it's everyone's biggest fear. Look. As I said last week, there is so much kind of going against it. Um, obviously, look, COVID is causing massive problems, shortages in supply chains. Yeah. So everyone's just worried that this console is going to be out of their reach. And is the same fiasco with PlayStation 3 going to happen? Are we going to jump ship and join Team Xbox? Or are we going to stick it out and happily hand over... 500 quid I I would I, I I don't think I'll ever part ways with them Sony have always kind of been able to hook me in with the games especially their own first party releases they've always been able to pull me in Um, but like, I think the scary thing about PlayStation 5 is it's such a huge leap in technology that yeah the price hike is definitely something that we're all kind of fearing for but I think the Amazon um, leak has kind of Dampen people's um, worries a little bit, do you know? Yeah, well, look, well, it's <laughs> it's kind of put me at ease. I'm actually like now rooting for. I'm so hopeful that it is going to be that because it does kind of allow us to relax and go. Look, well, it is a more reasonable price, yeah. and the fact of the digital edition is a hundred euro less. It's more enticing, you know. Will I go for the digital edition? Chances are, I won't. Uh, no. We live in a region of Ireland where broadband is crap and you just cannot get the speeds that are required, as we heard Sean saying. It, it took a full day to download yeah. 100 gigabytes. Which is actually quite good. Do you know, like 100 gigabytes in a day, that's not too bad. Like I've seen games that are 40 gigabytes take longer in some instances down here. It's just... Terrible Wi-Fi in the country. Yeah. Shocking Wi-Fi in the country. Just if you're in Dublin, stay in Dublin. It's just, <laughs> There's a reason why um, Virgin Media can boast that they have the fastest Wi-Fi speeds in Ireland, and that's because they are based in Dublin only. Yeah. And Dublin has the best Wi-Fi. Dublin is the capital after all. It's the money city. <laughs> that's where the government puts all their money. But we're not going to get involved in politics in any minute. Uh, the Amazon leak, last point on it, did also confirm a possible release date, which is November 20th, 2020. Yeah. That's not bad. It's holiday, holiday year. It's right around the time for Christmas. Perfect. Do you know? Yeah, it has me super excited. I'm personally super excited. Um, I don't know what way you're fixed. Oh, you know, that's that's good enough for me because we can assume that this is also the release date then for Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart Spider-Man Miles Morales pretty much any game that they said was going to be a launch title for PS5 this is their release date as well they're all coming on November 20th I didn't look I'm going to do it really quickly here I probably shouldn't because we're in the middle of recording the podcast but I'm going to do it anyway Um, just bear with me Stephen (laughs) Uh, November 20th is a Friday it that's mm, that's good that's good you know major releases do happen on a friday so yeah you know so that's uh playstation 5 it's going to be 500 euro it's coming out november 20th 
take that all with a grain of salt. <laughs> nothing's been confirmed by Sony, and uh, we don't have any say in what's going to happen. But that's the word on the street. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that, though, and keeping with what we were talking about last week, Star Wars Squadrons. We finally got some uh, news on what the hell Star Wars Squadrons actually going to be. Yes, and some some really good kind of info on it. Um, it's going to be a single player game with no microtransactions. They are, um, it will have a single player campaign, you are right in saying that. It is, however, going to be a bit like Battlefront. They're focusing on that multiplayer aspect still. Yeah, but look, I'm I'm hopeful, like, as we said, they learned from Last Jedi. Not Last Jedi, Falling Order. Yeah, Falling Order. That single player games do work. We don't have to pump a ton of microtransactions into a game and rob everyone of their money to make no. a good game. So, look at I'm hopeful for a story, and it looks really impressive. It's the I think it's the first kind of dogfighting Star Wars game we've gotten since 2003. I think Jedi, not Jedi, uh, Rogue Squadron. I think was the last kind of dogfighting game that we got in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and th- to be fair, with Battlefront Two, they kind of upped the um, the uh, the ship fighting element of that. Like, it was there in um, Battlefront 1, but it was all on planet. Like, they actually brought space battles into Battlefront 2. And yeah, it's interesting. few little details about Star Wars Squadron. Um, It is developed by uh, Motive Studios, who have not done anything other than Star Wars games. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know who Motive were before um, they were Motive. Because EA changed around a lot of things, being a big publisher that they are. They're a bit like Activision. Um, but yeah, I looked them up and it only said that they worked on Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2. Yeah, it's, um, look, you can't go wrong. Like, you cannot get this game wrong. No, I don't think you can. It's it's space battles. Space battles. You know, I think, thinking about this now, it's only dawning on me now. I think we've seen Star, we saw Star Wars Squadrons very, very briefly at an E3. I don't remember what year it was, but I can remember um, EA showing something. It was like, it was all the Star Wars games they kind of had in development at the time. Like, they showed off a little teaser for their single-player game, which completely changed. Like, it's nothing like what Jedi Fallen Order became. Yes, I do remember this. I can remember, it was like a 3D uh, rendered model of uh, X-Wing. But that's it. That's all we kind of got from... It's it's only dawn. I mean, I definitely sure there's something like that. Yeah, they the also said that they were going to do an open world, um, third person. I do remember them that doing that as well. Was that but the that game got, that was announced? It was sort of shown at the end, and I think that was the game the Visceral were supposed to be doing. Yeah, but I think that got swapped, changed well, yeah. for uh, Jedi Fallen Order from what we got from uh, Respawn, um, which is a shame. That would have been actually really interesting to see. Um. It is set after episode six, so that's the timeline we're working in. All right. Yeah, it's uh, it's to do with the aftermath of the Battle of Endor. So I think it only takes place that long after episode six ends, which is kind of where most of the Star Wars games have gone, bar Jedi Fallen Order, which is sort of taking place shortly after episode three, just before episode four. Uh, allegedly, like you said, no microtransactions. I'm finding it very hard to agree with that because there's such a strong um, there's such a strong focus on multiplayer in this game. Yeah, look, it's they also said about Crash Team Racing. Oh yeah, no, be, there will be no microtransactions, and then literally on launch they just threw them in there. I d- it's 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 the kind of um, it's the uh, progression system that most games like that have. And how you keep ranking up and you can get um, get new power-ups and all that stuff to sort of improve your gameplay. It's a very easily payable wall system. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's you paid, can pay paid, for that stuff. Pay to win. It's very. It's a very easy thing to market around, you know, turn into a paying framework. I mean, Ubisoft do it all the time. <laughs> 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 like, I, I watched a video a good while ago now on Ubisoft games. And how certain Ubisoft IPs no longer work and how their framework doesn't it? Like, 
Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed, they're all sort of built around this framework. They all work the exact same way. Yeah. And you take a game like Splinter Cell or Prince of Persia, it doesn't work in that framework anymore. Those games are so far removed from the current Ubisoft framework that it's, it's complete bogus when you start to think about it. You're like, <laughs> this is horrible. But it's a marketing strategy. And there are big businesses that have to keep making money. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't agree with them. Like, I don't think it's, it's not going to happen, the microtransactions. It's going to be there. It will be there. I just, I am hopeful that the president of EA just gets a Scrooge moment and just wakes up and just goes, oh, do you know what? We will never have any microtransactions. Throw them all away. Every yeah. game in the future will never have microtransactions. It's never going to happen, though. Uh, they just stop messing with Star Wars. They just keep ruining Star Wars. Bring back 1313. 13. Oh, 13-13, the game that we're never, ever going to get. We will do another podcast on 13-13. We'll next week, we'll, do, we'll have a bit on 13. We'll put that in the nostalgia box. That is pure nostalgia right there, talking about 13-13. And we'll turn it into a full-on segment. It'll be brilliant. Uh, final note on Star Wars Squadrons. It's coming out October 2nd, 2020. So... Not exactly the game that falls around the time of year that I would buy a game, but, you know, it's close enough, you know. I love a good October game. So there we are. Moving on with the Wasp, we've got a lot of confirmed games. The first, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time. First numbered entry in the Crash series since Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped, which came out in the 90s. Yeah. Big surprise. It was about time, though. Uh, not made by Vicarious Visions, who made the remake. Oh, right. Yeah, Toys for Bob are helmet up, the guys behind Spyro. Right. Mm. Um, this one is a bit like Star Wars Squadrons. I completely flubbed all my words there. Uh, it's a bit like Star Wars Squadrons, where we're talking about it right now. But tomorrow, they are going to do a huge... T- tomorrow, for you, it's going to be today, uh, when, yeah. when you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, well. uh, they're going to do a huge reveal. They're going to announce, obviously, totally show gameplay, a trailer maybe. Um, but it is coming for PlayStation 4, it's coming for Xbox One, and that's all we really have so far. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Is, is there a need for a Crash 4? Absolutely, there's always need for a Crash. I'm a huge Crash Bandicoot fan. Yeah, um, we've we've had so many spin-off games, or sort of extended games in the universe. Like we've had uh, Wrath of Cortex, we had Twin, Twin Sanity, a few more in between that I can't remember. Yeah, there's a couple that um, when Activision took the helm, it didn't really work out. But look, with the whole like remakes of the originals plus CTR, it's it's there. People people like Crash. I love Crash. Yeah, Um, he's such an iconic character. It's kind of hard not to like him. Plus, the demographic that you're now like, yes. There is the new age of kids and teenagers growing up, but the demographic is my age or slightly older. But we're no longer kids, we're adults. So it's games that are easily... like We can't invest 400 plus hours in an RPG. No. We have nine to fives. Okay. Unfortunately, it, yeah. It's as simple as yeah. that. Bills have to be paid. We have jobs but the likes of Crash Bandicoot, they're games where you can jump in and jump out, and you're not really heavily invested. Yeah. And that's the joy of it. You can turn that game off and pick it up in four days' time or four months' time, and, you and you'll still... you of relearning everything. Yeah. Do you know? I, like, I, I started playing Persona 5 at the start of uh, lockdown. I haven't made a dent in that game. It's a 95-hour campaign. I'm <laughs> nowhere near made a dent in it. I'm so busy doing other things, like... Yeah. You know, it's... Once you hit 20... You should really give up games because they're getting that big now. You just can't keep going. I found myself going back to PlayStation 2 games because you've knocked through them about five hours and it feels like nothing. Compared to <laughs> new games, you're like, oh my God, it's a 400-hour campaign. So I may just, like, I need, I need to stop something. You know, what can I give up this year? <laughs> you know? I may give up my audiobooks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Crash 4. We'll know more tomorrow, which means we'll probably be talking about it in next week's next podcast. Next week's podcast. Unfortunately, that's all we can give you. Uh, moving on with the confirmed games. Skate 4 is coming from EA. Uh, I don't actually know why they're resurrecting this franchise. I know Skate 3 has a huge cult following and it's a fun game. But my God, I have no idea why they're reviving Skate. 
It's probably to do with the Tony Hawk, the Tony Hawk revival. Um, I didn't consider that. No. Yeah. yeah, it's probably like everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. Once one game comes back and everyone jumps on the hype train, every other company goes, oh my God, let's jump on this train too. Why is skateboarding suddenly making a comeback? I have absolutely no idea. It was such a big thing in the late 90s and 2000s. It's 20 years on from that. And suddenly skateboarding is just... Do people still skateboard? I don't think so. No, but everyone that was skateboarding back then is now hitting what we call midlife crisis. We're just too old to get on a board now. Because you break something. You do serious harm to yourself if you get on the board. So get on a board virtually. That's the best thing to do. Yeah. I, I just... I don't get... I never got skateboarding. It was never a thing for me. I just like I like the Tony Hawk games, but I, I never got skateboarding. It's a board with wheels. Yeah, what there was a game. Um, they actually like made a board as a peripheral. Oh, Tony Hawk Ride. Is that what it was? Oh, it was awful. Oh my god, it was god awful. See that that came out in um, it was like the beginning of two thousand tens, and at that time the Wii had just released. And motion control was everything then. Everyone was doing motion controls. And in look, on, th- on paper, Tony Hawk's Ride sounds like a fantastic game. In theory, it's a terrible concept. And you were literally standing on a piece of plastic with some yeah. very complicated uh, workings in them to make the board actually work. You, what, like, our brother got it for Christmas, the younger fella. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he flipped it into the air. <laughs> I don't know, because it's a skateboard. And yeah. he was a kid. What else are you going to do with it? But no, it's all about step lightly. Lean it this way. Dude, it's, look, it was interesting. I think motion controls have come on a long way, but I don't don't bring back the peripherals like that. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, look, it's... um, Yeah, everyone is literally trying to relive their childhood. And what better way to do it is to bring back the classics. So the skateboarding games, the... Arcade jumpers. That would that's the class, isn't it? Um I've never heard of that. Arcade jumpers like um Crash Bandicoot. Um Oh, do you mean platformers? Platformers. Yeah. My <laughs> god, arcade jumpers. Arcade. My god. <laughs> you mean arcade style platformers. Yes. Oh, they are making a comeback, like like games have become so um they're so you know, what's the word? Games are so big now that they're not arcadey anymore. Like Red Dead Redemption two is the like biggest game that's not arcade anymore coming from a developer that makes arcade or used to make arcade games like the Grand Theft Auto series is the most arcade type game you've ever seen yeah and Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of the most realistic games I've ever played so it's not that's again going back into what you said about Crash you know that's um what makes Crash so easily accessible is because he's so arcadey he's just jump in and have fun I don't need to get bogged down in you know uh, horse physics Shrinking testicles and all that. I just I don't need I don't need that in my crash games. Um, going back to Skate Four though, uh, it's in early development, so we're not going to see it for a while. It'll probably be a next generation release. So there we go. That's Skate Four. Skate Four is coming for all you skateboarders out there. And to relieve the time in between that, you will have Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two, which is releasing in a. October, I'm going to say, because I didn't look it up. Oh, he didn't do his homework. No, I didn't do my homework. I didn't think we were going to talk about Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, last game that was confirmed uh, this week, uh, Pokemon Snap got a, got confirmed for the PlayStation, not the PlayStation. Nintendo. Ooh, the Nintendo Switch. Uh, it's a spiritual successor, not a direct sequel to the N64 uh, game of the same name that was released back in 1999. And it's essentially... A photography simulator. So you go around to all these different locales and you observe Pokemon in their natural habitat and you take pictures of them. And that's from that from what I've gathered, that's all it is. Yeah, but it's it's building on the success of Pokemon Go. So Pokemon Go for people that don't know, it's a GPS based game it's, it's I think everyone knows what Pokemon Go is. Yeah. It was such a big thing when it came out. So it kind of blurs the lines between reality and game. So you actually physically have to move to a location, find a Pokemon, catch a Pokemon, collect a Pokemon. Yeah. Because as Pokemon says, gotta catch them all. 
Well, um, actually, now that you bring up Pokemon Go, when I saw Pokemon Snap first, I actually assumed it was a mobile game, not a full uh, Nintendo Switch release, which was quite surprising when I saw that it was, and that it was actually based on a game that came out in 99. It, it's a very mobile kind of... Um, design. Yeah, that's, that's the word I'm looking for, design. So yeah, that's coming. I've no real interest in Pokemon. I've never, never had. <laughs> there are so many people that are actually like they're just cringing at the moment. I, but look, it has a big following. I liked Pokemon Go for a little while. I never took to Pokemon. It was never my thing. It was just it's weird things in balls. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm assuming that's what we all were at one point like or another. The best like bio ever. It's it's weird things in balls. Lovely analogy. It's just weird things in balls. Just. Look, Pokemon never made sense to me. There's so many of them, and there's even more of them now. And the games never made sense to me either. Like the Game Boy and the DS games, I never got them. I just never, I could never understand the concept. I never understood how the battles worked either. <laughs> like, I, do you control what powers the Pokemon use, or do you just kind of have to hope for the best that the Pokemon will actually go out and do its own thing? No, I think you tell the Pokemon what to do. Right. So you tell it to either use electricity or well obviously it's an electric Pokemon we're off on a tangent again yeah there we go tangent alert we need a tangent button <laughs> foreshadowing maybe we'll just will uh, we wrap up the Pokemon thing we there? will wrap up we'll the Pokemon because away. we are talking about something we are actually not well equipped that's with. that's what this podcast is it's just us talking about things we don't know what we're talking about <laughs> see it's great we made the podcast with the idea of talking about things we're interested in but we actually spend more time talking about things we have no idea what we're talking about but we give it our best shot we're letting people know that we're just there on the outside it's like the door's closed and we're still there <laughs> just having the chats like oh yeah here we are we've no idea what we're talking about <laughs> moving on um we've got some delays as well a few delays happened yes, this week. Big very. delay. Cyberpunk 2077 happened again. Got delayed. Um, I can't remember when it was coming out beforehand. I think it was September 17th. I want to say September 17th. I know it was September. Yes. Um, either way, it's been delayed to November 19th now. Yes, it's to fix... Um, as they've stated, it's to fix the bugs and work on gameplay mechanics. Yeah. At this point, they are literally ironing out last minute things yeah like this is a game that's been in development since 2013 it's a long time coming and I honestly I don't mind waiting a little bit longer yeah look if it was any kind of other developer um, panic station would set in why are they delaying it but CD Projekt Red take the time and have a really well polished game once it's finished yeah um, but like, it, and it's it's still going to have bugs when it comes out like, The Witcher 3 has been out for five years, and it's still a buggy mess. Well, not a mess, but it's got bugs, and that's to be expected. It's a huge game, and I don't expect Cyberpunk to be any different. So, obviously, the bugs they're ironing out are obviously game-breaking at this point, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um. Again, we'll probably go into a tangent, but it's probably a topic that we will probably discuss in a later podcast. Um. They don't want to fall into the bracket of releasing a broken game and then fixing it. Yeah. And they know themselves have a game that what they think is fixed and most players will experience a fixed game. There are a very small fraction of players that will experience these bugs. There will probably be very little game-breaking bugs but I do think by taking the time to iron these little flaws out, it'll make the whole experience kind of enjoyable. Yeah. Oh, well, that's got. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, when the delay was announced, initially people thought that it was going to be for the uh, Cyberpunk was being uh, sort of adapted towards the next generation consoles, which was not the case. It was down to the bugs. Uh, it will be backwards compatible when it comes out. Um, so you will be able to play it on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. And it will look slightly better, but there will be a fully-fledged next-generation version that's coming in 2021. That's all been confirmed. So, yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 is coming out in November 
2020. There you are. Final delay, and we're going to do a quick note because uh, we're actually quite a long time into this podcast now. We need to rush things <laughs> along. <laughs> um, due to social distancing uh, measurements, you know, given that we're in a state of crisis at the minute, um, Doctor Who Series 13 may be slightly delayed because it's not a show that can be filmed in social distancing standards. So uh, the, the current producer of the show, whose name I don't know, because, you know, oh, they change those producers all the time. I don't keep up with the producers. I keep up with the... <coughs> the sh- writers. The showrunners, yeah. Um, basically, it's now looking that we're going to get Doctor Who Series 13 in autumn 2021. So, nothing wrong with that. I mean, we've had autumn airs of Doctor Who before. I mean, Stephen Moffat did it like there was no tomorrow. All the time. Yeah, no, look, it's... um. Safety first. Everyone is playing their part. And look, it's it might give them time. A script might be sitting on the table that might be finished. And on second read, they might go, crap, that's awful. I, I think Chris could be doing that an awful lot. Chris Shibnall's just... His time in Doctor Who as showrunner has just not been great. Is, you know what I mean? I just yeah. I don't... He's doing a lot of things that I don't like. Yeah, no, look, it's it's like not even Doctor Who, it's like movies as well. Mm. It's because everything is shut down due to the whole social distancing not being like being able to be accomplished on these sets. It gives writers and it gives producers and directors time to stand back and look at the bigger picture of their pieces and go, right. I might be able to fix this because there are certain plot holes that are really broken. Or just plot points that don't make sense. Don't make sense. Don't make sense. Where was COVID-19 when Artemis Fowl was in production? Oh, that's a perfect, uh, that's the perfect place to just move straight in. So that's the end of the what's what. Let's just move straight into the merchandiser. Last week we talked about Artemis Fowl and what it meant for dropping that crap on Disney+. Plus. Now we're actually going to talk about the film because we sat down and we watched it this week. Well, you watched it in full. I watched 45 minutes and gave up. Yes, so I sat for the full running time. That's only 90 minutes though. It's a very short film. (laughs) It's a very short (laughs) film when you look at 90 minutes written down. It's one of the longest movies I've ever had to sit through to try and watch and not turn off. It's just... I don't know what they were going for with it. Like, obviously they wanted to turn it into a franchise. And it's a huge book series. I, I don't know how many books are in the Artem Spell series. But I know it's been going since the early 2000s and wrapped up around 2012-2013. And I don't know what happened with this film. It's just... Oh my God. Just tanked. Big time. Yeah, look, there is so much going against it at the moment. Um... So we were on Rotten Tomatoes and we were on IMDb and we looked through the critics' reviews and we looked through the user reviews. Nobody gave it a decent review. Everybody slated it. From the word go, it is an awful movie. Its pacing is all over the place. It's so quick. You know what's going on, but your brain still can't comprehend what it's looking at. They've, and they have Josh Gad's character, the dwarf, who's not a dwarf. I don't know what's wrong with him there. but um, <laughs> He's explaining the whole film. He narrates the entire movie. And I honestly had no idea what he was talking about half the time. He's explaining things to me as they're happening. Like, he's talking about characters that are just introduced. And I have no idea what he's talking about. And that's also in part because I don't know why he's... Like, his voice is ridiculous. Gad went for this like ridiculous gravelly kind of thing yeah but not just him like there was also Dame Judy Dench's character oh the wonderful Dame Judy Dench who really is just having a bad time with films yeah and she went from cats to this someone's out to get her someone is seriously out to get Dame yeah, Judy look Dench look at the woman is I wouldn't say near the end of her career but she's had a really really good career and she's at a point in her life where she's just I don't care yeah I can agree with that but I still think she shouldn't be doing films like this 
And I don't know what her accent was in it either. Like, she, she honestly sounds like, How are you now, That's what she sounds yeah. like. So for people who haven't actually heard about Artemis Fowl or anything, Artemis Fowl is based in Ireland. Um, that It could have been our entry into the fantasy world. I mean, England have Harry Potter. America have um, lots of things. I'm not even going to generalise <laughs> that. You could have picked, like, I know it didn't work out well, but you could have said Percy Jackson, the lightning thief. There we go. Percy Jack, thank you for clarifying yeah. that one. We could have had Artemis Fowl. We're never going to get Skullduggery Pleasant. That's never going to happen. Dark Land, if you're listening to this, please put that film into production. Just another, it's a, it, that's push another, that along. It's like, like I would say for another podcast, but that would be more like a therapy session for sure. Oh, Skullduggery <laughs> Pleasant has both saved my life and broke my heart on several occasions. <laughs> Artemis Fowl could have been our little mark on, you know the fantasy world and all this magical stuff it's a train wreck of a film it's a pure train wreck this film crashes and burns big time yeah so there is so much wrong even from the way it's set so the hill of tara plays a huge role in this movie oh yeah there's for the, the first hour of the film it's all set around um the Hill of Tower and what's going on there. Which, to be fair, only leaves you with a half hour to get through the rest of the movie. But there you yeah. are. That's just terrible. But uh, for people who don't know, the Hill of Tower is in County Mead. County Mead. Which is a landlocked county. Mostly. I looked it up and Betty's Town is near water. Yeah, it's in, it's in Loud, Sean. Is it? It's in Loud. I'm it's n- it's I between... It's, it's on the border between... Dublin and Loud. Oh. It's way, way away from County Mead. Well, somewhere in this place, this is where Artemis Fowl lives. He lives somewhere in the Mead to Loud area, which kind of explains Judy Dench's accent, which also doesn't make sense to me because from what I've gathered, the fairyland is under Italy. So why Judy Dench would have a Loud accent is completely beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> um... But yeah, like, look, Betty sounds a, a surfing town, as far as I know. That's where people go to surf. Or at least that's what I've been told. I've never been there, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, and we see Artemis Fowl surf in this film. You know, it's nice. He's a hobby. But honestly, the lad could have cycled to Centra, and that probably would have been more believable. <laughs> I would have been like, oh yeah, he's Irish. You know, hands down. You know? The problem for me with this film, and... It's see this is it's made by Disney and it's obviously trying to hit a a bigger audience. And see the problem with it is with Irish films, the ones that work, they embrace Irish culture to a certain extent. And obviously Artemis Fowl can't really fit into that because it's got so much going on for it. But it can in little ways. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Like the television, for instance. Yeah, so the the what he's referring to is Artemis is watching a new story unfold, quite gripping. It's worldwide. Just gonna stop you right there. We are gonna spoil this film a little bit, not not a huge amount, just a little bit. But that's because it's so bad. We're gonna save you the time of actually watching the film, <laughs> so we're gonna just spoil it. So fair warning, there you are. Carry on, Stephen. Yeah, so he um he's watching a news channel. I actually cannot remember the the little letters in the corner, but we have a television channel based in our country here called RTE yeah. or Radio Television. It's it, not that hard to put RTE in the corner of the screen and let them be the the, the news provider on it, but they picked a weird I couldn't tell whether they were trying to pick, was it like, were they going for Sky News or were they going for... CNN. Yeah, it, 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 it's based in Ireland, but it didn't feel like it was based in Ireland. It felt like it was based somewhere else and it, it, it was all over the place. It was just a mess. For the kind of crime that they're reporting on, because obviously what Artemis Fowl Sr. has done and what's being revealed in this news snippet, it's obviously a big deal and it's going to be a global kind of thing that's going to be reported on. So it doesn't surprise me that maybe, you know, the likes of CNN or Fox or the BBC, they would um, 
they would report on it as well. RTE is a small network. You know, we're not big. They don't have a lot of money. They're trying. You know, they, they do things during the year. Some are not great. They've definitely declined in years. But, you know, they're good. They're a staple of Irish culture. And Ar- Artemis Fowl is in Ireland. Just stick on the 6-1. I'm just just put on the six one. We have a twenty four hour news channel called RT News now. Put that on. It's not that hard. Get some Irish news reporters. The BBC do this in Doctor Who the whole time. They always bring in BBC news reporters for the news stuff. It makes it more believable. Don't be afraid. Do you know what I mean? Embrace that culture. That's what Ireland's fellows missing. He's missing culture. That's the problem. We've figured we've cracked it now. This is it. We can move on. We're not moving on though, because we still have to talk about Ferdy Walsh. Oh I yes. Can, look, I feel bad for the guy. He's only got one credit on his IMDb page, and it's Artemis Fowl. I don't want to shit on the guy because he's only beginning. You know, bless him. He's only beginning. But my God, just if he didn't speak in this film, it would have been fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Look. We don't really want to hammer down on any one individual or anything like that. We're talking about Artemis Fowl as a whole. Um, like the whole experience of the movie, the cast, the overall presentation of it. But I just found the acting was so stale. There was no emotion. There was no... I wasn't drawn to a character. I didn't have the emotional draw to them. Like, there was meant to be emotional scenes in it. Scenes of tension. Scenes of loss. Scenes of shock. And I genuinely just felt bored. I just... Every few minutes, I was reaching for my phone. I was opening the Facebook feed. I was checking out the listings on IMDb. I was more interested in that than I was in this movie. That's how awful it actually is. It's. I think they played it safe. I think they relied on kind of audience testing. I think this is where movies fall down. They rely on audience testing and if something is not working or it's breaking or oh, we'll, we'll fix that or we'll dim that down or and then a movie can get lost in what it was actually meant to be and I think from reading the reviews and bearing in mind IMDb is sitting at over 600 user reviews none of them reach above 3 stars out of 10 not out of five, out of ten. Like, and a lot of them were saying that, did Disney even read the books? Yeah. Did they actually look into the franchise properly? No, I don't think they did. I think they just seen the name and let's just get this movie out and let's just get a franchise started. And literally from the word go, they just screwed it up. Oh, yeah. Big time. And it's it feels rushed. There's something about this film that feels rushed. Which is surprising because it's been in development hell for years. Yeah, because it's 90 minutes. It should have been 2 hours and 30 minutes. Yeah, like the first Harry Potter film. Which gave that movie enough time to allow the lore and the world to be built. Like, there's a, there's a lot going on in Harry Potter. Like, you have to talk about Harry, and you have to talk about Hogwarts, and you have to introduce magic to everybody, and then you have to obviously get the story rolling. And Artemis Fowl is no different. There's a lot going on in that movie, and in the story itself. And it's so rapid. And what even, when you when you think about, like, when, you, when I was watching it, I got this sense that even during filming it felt rushed. Like, it was a lot of one-takers, and just kind of moved on. And that's, I think that's another thing that sort of bleeds into Freddie Walsh's performance. It feels a bit uncomfortable. Like he's not like. It must have been terrifying for him. He's a young lad, and he's this is his first film. It's a major franchise opener. That's bound to be daunting to some degree. And um, you know, obviously, if I was there, I would have felt uncomfortable. You know, but with time, you can get comfortable. I don't think he had that time, which no. is again goes back to the whole development hell thing. This film's been taking forever to come out. Uh, you know what I mean? 
Take your time, Kenneth Branagh. Don't be rushing things. Actually, I'm not even going to include Kenneth Branagh in that because I doubt it's even his fault. Kenneth Branagh's not a bad director. He's directed some great films. Murder on the Orient Express is a... Not a great film. It's a good film. It's an enjoyable film. I think he did Frankenstein as well. One of them. Just <laughs> throwing <laughs> words out there, hoping something catches on. Um, that's not a bad film either. Yeah, no, it's... Um Kenneth Branagh did the first Thor movie. As a good film. I like the first Thor movie. I like the way it's shot. He can do fantasy to some degree. Like, Thor is definitely embedded in the sort of fantasy realm. And you can see that. And Kenneth Branagh can do that. So Artemis Fowl just... Yeah, look, I definitely agree. But you mentioned about it's like the movie is lacking Irish culture. Yeah. If you were to take that, I think the actual problem is the script. I think the script was not ironed out. Yeah. They didn't take the time to, you know, go into the whole lore of the Artemis Fowl world. Take a picture of the entire world and plan it out. So don't have... It happens with a lot of, say, big studios. They look at the short term, well, let's get this movie out. Marvel has done it. Marvel has actually taken the step back, looked at the world and went, this is our end goal. This is what, we, this is what we're going to work towards. Yeah. And if it takes 10 movies, 20 movies or 40 movies to tell the story, then this is what we're going to do. We're going to lay the groundwork and we're going to get to the final product eventually. I think Disney and even Warner Brothers are known for it. They get lost in it. They look at the short term. Well, just let's get this movie out. Let's make money off it and let's hope for the best. And yes, people, I know Disney owns Marvel, but they have better script writers. And they have a producer who is overlooking everything like Kevin Feige is the Marvel Cinematic Universe without him it doesn't work you know and you say with Warner Brothers they have Harry Potter like Warner Brothers did all that congratulations fair play to them but they're now doing the Fantastic Beast series which I don't think holds up to the same level as Harry Potter and I I know that all the world of Harry Potter had already been explained and we're re-entering that world I think they could have done a bit more with the Fantastic Beast as well. So I do agree that, yeah, some things get rushed. And Artemis Fowl was definitely a rushed job, yeah. completely botched, even though it was in development hell. And even though Disney have owned the rights to the film since 2000, 2001, this film's been a long time coming, like nearly 20 years. I just, oh, it's a terrible movie. So yeah, wrap up on Artemis Fowl. Should you watch it, Stephen? Uh, for me, no, I wouldn't watch it. Um, if you're look, if you're a kid, or if you've, you're gonna love the flashy lights. It's gonna entertain you for ninety minutes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. if you're an adult that's gonna try and get invested in it, absolutely not. Go out to the kitchen, make a cup of tea, make a cup of coffee and sit down and enjoy an audiobook or watch something else. Watch the grass grow for an hour and a half and you'll be less disappointed than you will yeah. when you watch Artemis Because Fowl. all that will happen is you will head to IMDb or you will head to Rotten Tomatoes or Tomatoes. What are we calling it? Tomatoes. Tomatoes because we're Irish. Yeah, it works. Tomatoes. Yeah. You will head there and you will leave another review and by the end of this month you will probably have it up to a thousand reviews yeah it's just for me no i'm the same it's a no for me either you could do absolutely anything watch the dirt form on the ground you know lick walls for an hour and a half you'll get more enjoyment out of it than artemis fowl maybe we're not the target audience for artemis fowl do you know we're probably not it's a 12a film we're probably not the target audience but that doesn't mean that it cannot be enjoyable for adults and it's not terrible film Bogus. If you've watched Artemis Fowl, or if you're thinking about watching Artemis Fowl, or if you have kids that have watched Artemis Fowl, write into us 
at the arcade podcast at gmail.com and we'll love your correspondence or you can find us on the twitters the facebooks and the instagrams at the arcade and just let us know on there you know we will definitely bring them up in the next podcast that'll be fun um very quickly we're down to the last few minutes of this podcast we're going to wrap up with the last segment the nostalgia box i'm going to roll the nostalgia box and the merchandiser into one because we're kind of talking about two things are the same we're talking about the last of us and the last of us part two last of us came out in 2013 i don't think anyone expected it to be what it eventually turned into which is heartbreaking it's a heartbreaking game so heartbreaking yeah are we going to put a spoiler disclaimer in or are we going to leave it spoiler free because well um we're not going to be so we're going to be very lacked with spoilers on the last of us one i mean the game came out in 2013 if you haven't played it by now it's been re-released on playstation 4 it's been given out for free on playstation 4 if you haven't played it you're never going to play it do you know so we are going to maybe spoil a few things here or there. But Last of Us Part 2 is completely off the cards. We're not going to spoil anything. I'm the only one that's played it. And I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to... You better not. Oh no, because I know you haven't played it. I don't want to spoil it for you either. So like... I just generally sum up how I feel about the game. But yeah, uh, Last of Us Part 1. Heartbreaking game. Yeah, I actually haven't played that since it launched. No, I played so it. So um, it's this year because they gave it free in January on PlayStation Plus yeah I still got that I still downloaded it but I haven't played it like it it has left a lasting impression Um, again if you want to take in the whole Artemis Fowl dilemma it's all down to pacing yeah and how the story develops and unfolds and it's a very slow and it builds to what I can only describe as a very uneasy ending. Yeah. It's not really uneasy. It's more heartwarming with a bit of sickly stomach. You don't know whether to feel good or bad about the ending. It, it has that feeling that I found with the Silent Hill games, particularly Silent Hill 1 and 2, where you'll sit down and play it you're not going to enjoy it the way you'll enjoy other games. You are going to enjoy it, but you're not going to be happy at the end. You're going to it's going to leave a mark on you that sort of you're going to question a lot about the actions that happen in the game. And again going back to pacing, the game takes place over a year technically, and they're very long segments. Like you start in the spring, you end in the no, you start in the summer, you end in the spring, one or the other. Um and you get to know these two characters. You get to know Joel and Ellie very well. And you see the relationship form between them. And to be honest, in at the end of the game, in Joel's position, I can't imagine not doing what Joel does. Do you know? Yeah. Uh, just, will, we, will we spoil it? I want, I want to say, yeah. I mean, if you haven't played it by now, you're... you're Podcast disclaimer. If you have not played The Last of Us... Well, we won't say part one, but if you have not played the original Last of Us, please switch off the podcast right now and go and play it and then come back right here, right now. Um, yeah, when Joel finds out that Ellie, obviously we know Je- oh, El- uh, Joel Ellie, Ellie can cure the virus because she's immune. And at the end of it, we find out that in doing so, it'll kill her. And Joel doesn't agree with that because he's lost one daughter. He lost her at the beginning of it. And... He's grown attached to Ellie as a father. And um, he doesn't want to lose her. So he kind of goes on a bit of a rampage and he kills the doctors. And he takes her out of there and tells her that her immunity means nothing. That she's never going to be able to say it the world. Even though she is. But he tells her differently because he doesn't want to obviously tell her you know, that he was a bit vain and didn't want to give her up. When you, know, when you get to know Joel, I can't disagree with what he did. But again, it kind of goes back to... You know, the wise words of Mr. Spock. The needs of the few outweigh the needs of the many. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You still, you're kind of left with that. Yeah. Like, as I said, it's all down to base. And when you start the game, obviously, Joel loses a major part of his life. He loses his daughter. 
it moves on. Joel is set with a task of bringing Ellie to um bringing them to the fireflies. Yeah. Because she has antibodies, yeah. which is the cure for this outbreak. But he doesn't like her. He cannot get on with her. He finds her annoying. It's the whole attitude. But as the game develops, he starts to care for her. They build the bond. And by the time we reach the climax, that big decision, what should we do? Yes, uh, like, personally speaking, I probably would do the very same thing he does. I would choose the needs of the few over the needs of the many. Yeah, Um, it's it's a very, like, this is, again, and it just shows how great a writer Neil Druckmann is. It's a very morally grey area to finish on. It's It's not necessarily bad, it's not necessarily good. It's very, you're kind of, I don't know how to feel about that. Does it leave a sour taste in my mouth? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. And it, but it sticks with you. Like, it's definitely, it's stuck with me for a while. And it's stuck with me up until now. Like, we're what, 2013 to 2020. It's a good seven or eight seven years. Seven years. And, um, look, people have asked me, am I hyped for The Last of Us Part 2? And I always said, no, I'm not really that hyped because I knew it was going to be a great game. Because Naughty Dog have a fantastic track record. And it's a, a follow up to literally the, one of the best games ever released. Last of Us Part 1 is a fantastic game definitely play it and Last of Us Part 2 yeah kicks off in a pretty bleak beginning because we're obviously dealing with everything that happened at the end of the first game and just gets bleaker and bleaker like I'm I'm 6 hours into the game and I'm nowhere near finished as far as I know it's a 20 hour campaign and it's just you know it's taking me for a ride so far emotional ride I don't like it oh yeah, oh, I could feel the anxiety. I was like, "Is he going to let anything out?" Oh God! I'm trying my living best not to. Yeah. So look, I think this segment I'm going to try and I haven't played it, but I'm going to ask a couple of questions, not on story, but more on your thoughts so far. So, being six hours in, what? way would you feel are you feeling hopeless now or are you is there a gleam uh, like a glimmer of hope or oh no it's definitely a hopeless feeling it like it's a it's it's a it's a struggle that's the that's the story i would that's how i would describe it it's a struggle it's a very personal struggle for ellie that she's going through and um it's kind of similar to the way what joel went through in the first game ellie's kind of following a similar path i would say if not slightly different, based purely on story reasons. Um, it's just, it's a bit, I, I said it to you, it's a bit like Godfather Part 2. If you've seen the first one, you, you don't really need to play the second one. Do you know what I mean? Like, the first one was so good that you could sort of leave it there, walk away, and you'd be happy. But you most definitely should go into the next one, because it does so much, it builds on so much. And it's definitely building towards something that is just, you know, I can't, I can't wait to see how it ends. I am, re- I'm going to keep going back and keep playing it because I want to see how this one ends. It's going to be probably heartbreaking as well, and it's probably going to end on an even bleaker. I, this is going to be the Empire Strikes Back at the Last of Us. Whoa, that is whoa! It has to be. It's that par- is powerful. It's too. It has to be. That's right. powerful. Do you reckon that? Now you've that's quite a bold statement. Oh, Holy yeah. crap! It's def- I think this game. I think this game is going to end on a more um, darker place than the first game ended on. And then we're going to, if there is going to be a part three, which there probably will be at the end of the PlayStation 5's run, that's going to that will that'll hopefully will bring be. that'll bring the hope, the new hope. Do you know what I mean? Wow! Yeah, I, I want to download it now and play big, it. Big words, big words. Um, gameplay from a gameplay standpoint. It's, it's it's Naughty Dog again. With every iteration of a new game and a currently existing IP, they get better. Uh, Ellie's nicer to control than Joel was in the first game. I mean, the gunplay is still a bit too realistic for my liking. I liked Uncharted's gunplay because it was a bit more arcadey. This one's a bit real. I'm not a huge fan of real because I suck at games, even though I love playing them. Um, 
you can do more stuff. You can go prone in this one. You can dodge. Um, it's a fun game to play. And it looks really nice as well. A lot of facial things going on. People making faces rather than actually responding with words. And it doesn't look weird. Yeah, it's... Um, it's Look, with the development of technology, and we're actually at the end of the life cycle of this console. So we yeah. are pushing... Pushing, I wouldn't say we're pushing the limits. They're definitely extracting the last bit out of PlayStation 4. And like every game up until this point has been getting better looking and playing better. And Last of Us is no different. They did the same with PlayStation 3 with Last of Us Part 1. They pulled the last of PlayStation 3 out of it. Even though there was supposedly more that that console was able to be capable of, they pulled out the last of it and, you know, they just made this fantastic game and they've done the same with Last of Us Part 2. So... If they're doing this with Last of Us Part 2 and they do a Part 3 at the end of PlayStation 5, I cannot wait to see what... Church, you might as well be real life. Just be <laughs> sitting in... You're going to experience The Last of Us now. This is, it's you. It's not, not Ellie or Joel. It's you that's going to do it. Yeah, it's... Um, look, I think with the progression of technology, it also adds to the storytelling aspect because of the high levels of detail within their face you're able to tell the story with facial animations so you know so you couldn't experience that say on playstation 2 playstation 1 xbox or xbox 360 well xbox 360 sometimes xbox 360 was a you know that was a powerful console because it was a direct xbox you know it was running yeah it was bridging the gap between PC and home console. Yeah, look, the like nowadays with the current generation of consoles, the the power is there for the facial animation. So why not dig deep and tell the story using it? Most cinematic movies, it's not what's said; it's what's shown. shown. Yeah, and like. Facial capture's been just been getting better as the years went on. Eleanor War was a huge step forward for facial captures. And it's just been getting better and better. And the level of emotion that these characters can show in a virtual sort of platform, it's just it's mind-blowing. I think it's absolutely mind-blowing. And, you know, it does come back kind of... It also links back into the performances by Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson, and then the writing by Neil Druckmann. That's that is the last of us. It's those three kind of, you know, that writing and that acting. You know, without them it wouldn't work, I don't think. So, big question. Um would you recommend this game? Oh god, yeah. No, if this was your last sort of game you played as the send off to the PlayStation 4, this is it, you know. I know we have Ghost of uh, Tsushima coming out, which is the last kind of first-party title set to release uh, for PlayStation 4. And we have Cyberpunk 2077, Star Wars. We have all these other games that are coming out as well for PlayStation 4. But this is a nice sort of end for the console run. I wouldn't see another way to wrap it up, you know. I kind of, it's, it's since PlayStation 3 now, this is the thing. Last of Us has kind of become the yeah the generation thing, you know. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. It's a nice game. <laughs> it's a heartbreaking game. It's going to hurt you. It will hurt you. And, you know, you're going to go through it looking for those brief moments where you can sort of just stop and take a breather. And for a short while, everything's okay. But it's never okay. Do you know? You're going to be tense the whole time you're playing this game. That's what I like about it. The atmosphere is there. And again, it's like Silent Hill 2, for instance. There was always an atmosphere there with Silent Hill 2. The only difference is it never had moments to just take a breather. I was constantly going at that game. Even in the safe rooms, I felt scared. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they need to bring back Silent Hill 2. Anxiety uh, on the disc. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Silent Hill 2 is a fantastic game. If you haven't played that either, you should definitely play Silent Hill 2. It's a marvellous game. Um, but if, if uh, Sony do eventually pick that up and uh, bring it in, like they were rumoured to do with Metal Gear Solid, um, don't give it to Kojima. Just please don't. Just... just Death Stranding just broke me. 
the second so, week. Second week, and I've mentioned Death Stranding. Just ridiculous. And Hideo Kojima. It's like, oh, you're doing really well. Oh, I used to love that man. Probably going to have to do another podcast purely on Sean's obsession with Metal Gear and his love-hate relationship with Hideo Kojima. No, I would like to do a whole... i will do that myself. That'd be a solo podcast. <laughs> because I'd only you'd have room to get, get a word in edgeways. I have so much... Like, just things to say about his work. Because some of it has really blown me away. And then so much just left me with just feeling terrible. Oh, he's terrible. Death Stranding. <laughs> There's two words can break my heart. Death Stranding. Uh, before we get completely carried away, we should completely wrap this up. Yes. Uh, so, last note. Last was part two. If you haven't played it, play it. It's a great game. And it's it's just getting better as I play through it. We all knew it was going to be a great game. It's coming from a developer with a fantastic track record. They've never made a game that I've never not liked. And it's by a writer who can do amazing things with story and character. And it's got two of the best actors in the roles, I think. Like, for those roles, you ca- I can't picture anybody else than Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson. They do fantastic performances. And they really pull you into the story in the world. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great game. Go play the game. Just do it. Do it now. Go buy that game and play it. Uh, but on that, I'm afraid the arcade is now closed. So thank you very much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. Uh, you can catch us on Acast. That's where we are now. We're also on Spotify. That happened this week. We hit Spotify. Uh, there's two arcades on Spotify. And they're both us. That's it. I want to get that just out there straight away because people have been getting confused. I've been getting texts about this. There is two. They're both us. We're just waiting for the RSS feed to update on the last one so that goes away. Yeah. Mm. They're both us. We didn't steal this idea or the name. They're both us. Just clarify that. Yeah. So the new podcast is under the Arcade Podcast and the old one is just the Arcade. The Arcade. And it's also got a uh, controller as the logo and this one's a joystick. Because I think it dawned on us that um, you can't find a controller in an Arcade. (laughs) Do you know? (laughs) Just doesn't make. I can't imagine playing Pac-Man with a controller. Actually, I can because I've done it. It's not nice. I don't like it. Um, but yeah, that's what's happening. You can keep up to date with us on the socials, the Facebooks, the Twitters, and the Instagrams at the Arcade Podcast. That's the Arcade Podcast. We're all on there. We post most of the time. I'm not going to say we do it all the time, but we do. I, it's very hard to keep up with social media. Yeah, look, we're also going to add. Um the additional like of polls and um we'll also be asking for correspondence on the socials to add to these podcasts and um, oh, we yeah. would really love user input oh um, absolutely get in touch please like we, the whole premise of this podcast is us talking about things with severe opinions but there are so many more people out there with stronger opinions than us about things take pokemon for example <laughs> There's a whole fandom there that I just completely insulted in the space of 20 minutes, yeah. like an hour ago. So yeah, get in touch, talk to us, and we will read out your thingies on the show. So that's it. Uh, you can catch us next week, same place, same time, Monday. That'll be that, uh, where we'll have more What's What's, more merchandiser segments, and more from the Nostalgia Box. With that said, I've been Sean. And I've been Stephen. This has been The Arcade. We are signing off. Having football down to a science starts with having sleep down to a science. Because the better you sleep, the better you show up on game day. That's why NFL players rely on the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. It senses their movement and automatically adjusts to keep them effortlessly comfortable. And it tracks vital sleep metrics like average heart rate and average breath rate, so they know exactly how well they slept. It tackles the science. All they have to do is sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all smart beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, only for a limited time. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL.